What's up, everyone? Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. My name is Michael Falk, and I will be hosting today's episode. And I'm joined by one of our therapists at Kinetic Sports Medicine, Brett Furstel. Brett and I are going to talk about tendons and tendon pain today. I think this is a really helpful episode as we dive into what exactly a tendon is, what tendon pain feels like, the different potential reasons that can lead to tendon pain, and then we tackle some myths about managing the tendon pain, as well as we lay out exactly the, our process for treating tendon pain. If you are somebody that has ever dealt with pain in your elbow, knee, Achilles, hamstring, outside of your hip, this podcast may relate to what you're feeling, and you can take a lot away from this to help manage that pain. Welcome to another episode of the Milwaukee Sports Performance Podcast. I am joined by Brett Furstel, and we are going to talk about tendons and tendon pain today. So, Brett, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for the time today. Yeah, thank you. Looking forward to it. So let's uh, not waste any time. We're going to try to keep this pretty short and sweet so that if you are somebody that's dealing with tendon pain, this can be a, hopefully a really helpful resource for you to get some answers. So there's a lot of words around tendon pain, tendonitis, tendinosis tendinopathy. What do all these words mean? Is it just medical practitioners kind of creating fancy words to describe things, or is it actually important in the care and rehabilitation? Yeah. A little bit of degrees of both, I would say. So tendinitis is probably the most common one. It's the one that's been used the longest, but the more we've learned about this condition, it seems to be a less appropriate term because the itis at the end of it tends to infer that there's inflammation at play. When people that we typically see that have pain in a specific tendon, there's generally not a lot of inflammation associated with it, um, but there can be a tendonitis that goes on. It's usually an acute or short-term inflammation after a lot more load than it's used to, but it generally goes away. And this is a condition that there's usually not like swelling associated with it, but it's really just small amounts of inflammation. Um, And then there's other terms like tendinosis, which that osis just refers to like more of a chronic degradation of the tendon or degeneration, if you will. Um, And that can be present whether there's pain or maybe there's not pain. And even more recently, it seems to be a more generalized term, but it's most accepted, is that tendinopathy term, which just is a general term to say that there's pathology within the tendon. And that's what typically is going to be used. But I think it's important because tendonitis is typically thrown around when realistically it's just like a tendinopathy or even a tendinosis. Um, but realistically, like tendinosis and tendinitis are really only legitimately, 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 if we can say that word, um, diagnosed with an image of some sort. Like I've seen some people that have had um, ultrasounds of the tendons and they are diagnosed with the tendinosis, but realistically, it generally doesn't change the treatment. So I think it's important just to know that those terms are out there, but most likely it's just a general tendinopathy. Yeah, I think... Uh... Like early in my career and even when I was a student, uh, there's just a lot of kind of arguments about how do you treat this tendon pain? Like if it's a tendonitis, you need to treat it with rest. If it's a tendinosis, you need to treat it with load and all of these things. And I think that in some ways, tendinopathy has sort of stopped the pointless debate. Like it's, just, it's basically just let's accept that there's areas of pathology in the tendon 
simultaneously, especially when they're really painful, there's probably areas of inflammation. And let's just treat the person in front of us with kind of the things that we know help um, these tendons. And so I've kind of enjoyed it because it sort of is, has ended what always felt like a little bit of a pointless debate. Yeah, totally agree. Um, so when we look at uh, people, you know, if they're not even familiar with this term of tendonitis or osis or tendinopathy, they, they don't even know what a tendon is. Like, how could somebody know that their tendon is bothering them? Like, where could they, what areas might be hurting? Yep. So we can kind of like backtrack a little bit and just define what a tendon is. A tendon attaches a muscle to bone and it transmits force that the muscle um, makes to the bone to create movement. So anywhere there's that attachment site from a muscle to a bone, there's a tendon and theoretically you could develop a tendinopathy. The most common ones are going to kind of depend on the sport or the activities that you do. But if it's more of like a running base sport or jumping, the Achilles tendon in the backside of the ankle or the patellar tendon are going to be really common. And even the quadriceps tendon, which is just the tendon right above the kneecap versus below it, those are going to be the most common in a more athletic population. And even people just use their legs. But you can still have the same thing happen in the upper body. Like you've heard tennis elbow or golfer's elbow. That's just going to differentiate between the outside or inside of the elbow where there's a tendon that attaches um, even like a triceps tendonitis. So basically anyone, anywhere there is a tendon where that muscle attaches to a bone, theoretically it could have that tendinopathy. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think kind of just piggybacking off of that a little bit, it's like um, kind of the, the area in front of your knee, the area in the back of your ankle and that Achilles, um, the outside of your hip is a common one in runners. Sometimes even like the literal pain in your butt um, could be a tendon if it really feels like it's right on that sit bone area. Um, and then, yeah, in the upper body, probably not quite as common, but either side of the elbow. Um, and you can get one in the front or the back of your shoulder as well. But um, there could be more places. Those are just some of the common ones that that we see. So um, that's kind of where it could hurt. What is uh, What are some common symptoms or or how could somebody identify that, hey, maybe this is a tendon that's actually bothering me and not arthritis or a muscle strain or something like that like what does a tendinopathy feel like yeah um so generally there's going to be pain in the location of the the tendon it generally doesn't refer elsewhere so if you were to poke on the tendon or you do the activity and where you feel it you're pushing right on a tendon that's going to be one indicator that it could be Um, it's also going to be load dependent meaning more load or more force it goes through, it's probably gonna hurt a little bit more versus less. So you can think like rest is probably gonna feel a little bit better than me doing a high heavy squat or jump or something like that, which kind of also gets into, it's also relatively rate dependent. So tendons job is to transmit force and sometimes they can act like springs depending on what the tendon is. So the higher rate you use it as in a jump versus a slow squat, that will also typically probably bother it more because it's faster versus slower. Um, Other common things I might hear from the person is that it it does warm up. So it might feel a little bit stiff initially when they start doing something, but the more they do it, it warms up, it feels a little bit better. But then if they keep going and keep doing the thing, it might bother it a little bit more. And then later in the day or even the next day, now it's sore again, and it kind of repeats through that process. Um, Also over the area, there's typically not swelling, like I said before. I typically don't notice bruising. Um, So really there's nothing deformed of the area, but it's location dependent, it's load dependent, and also like rate dependent. 
dependent. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, really good. Um, kind of adding to that, we see a lot of people have in the morning might have, it feels almost worse right, getting out of bed. And then after that first few steps and kind of by the time you get moving, it'll start to get a little bit better. And then same thing early, kind of what Brett was saying, like first thing in a practice or first couple of swings on the golf course or with the tennis racket, like those might be sore, but as it starts getting warmed up, it gets a little better until you overdo it and then it hurts later. So it's pretty classic. Um, we'd also say it's, it's, there can be one episode, like one sudden moment of onset, but more commonly, um, it's a, a big spike in activity level. Like maybe there was one tournament that you played four or five games or, um, you hadn't run for a long time and there was this big, uh, you know, you, you just started running and you ran 12 miles last week. So it, we can often trace it to like a, you know, it might be a couple week period or a month period or one specific day, but there's often not one like I stepped wrong and felt this pain or I was, you know, tripped and fell and this started to hurt. Like there's not one incidence, but there is a often like a, a triggering event kind of, if you will, that we can sort of trace the start of the pain back to. Yep, totally agree. Um, and then I think uh, it might be worth just a quick little sidetrack into you and I keep talking about this idea of load. Um, and I think it to the non-clinicians, um, I feel like they just think of load as heavy weight. Like we say more load is like more weight on the squat bar. Um, and that's not really how we determine it. So when you... When you and I talk about load, what um, types of things are we thinking about or factoring into that? Yeah, um, it can be a little bit range of motion specific because the more the tendon might get stretched, that's a relative load to the tendon still. Um, but it can also be rate dependent. So if I do a fast jump, there's going to be more load that goes through that tendon because I have to apply forces in less time. Um, versus if I do that same jump, but over a longer period of time, that's going to change the load that is going through it. So although um, weight on the bar can influence the total load in that one instance, so can rate, um, but also like accumulation over time, like a volume aspect. So say I do, you know, one rep of the squat with 50 pounds, there's a 50 pound total load. But say I do that 50 pounds and I do it for 10 reps, that's going to be a lot different total load of volume equated over time. So there's a lot of different ways that you can look at that total load and they do all influence what stress is going through the tendon. Yeah, and I think that that's sometimes how I try to like explain it. And I'm sure researchers would would critique me on this, but in a, a simplistic mindset, it's sort of like the overall stress on that area of and it's, it's everything. It's how much are you walking? How much are you going up and down stairs? Um, and I think stairs can be a good example. We'll, we'll use the example of pain in the front of your knee. Oftentimes, we'll see people with tendon pain. They'll be fine walking upstairs, but going downstairs is more painful. Their body weight didn't change by the time they walked up and down those stairs, but the biomechanics and the stress that goes through the front of that knee and that tendon is greater when you're going downstairs. And so, this is what we try to work with with people is there's often this like quote unquote load or stress threshold that if your activities are under it, it doesn't hurt. If your activities are over it, it hurts. And sometimes the stairs can be like the best example of that in that mm -hmm. specific thing. Like same, you know, basic 
movement, same body weight, et cetera, but the biomechanics change slightly, increased stress on the front of their knee, downstairs hurts, upstairs doesn't. And um, so it's kind of a vague term, but roughly that's that's what we're talking about with that. Mm-hmm. So what are some common like populations or what are the athletes that we work with? What do they do um, that, um, you know, that uh, when they're dealing with the tendon pain? Yeah. Um, I can't remember who this quote comes from. You can probably remind me who it is, but I think it does a great job of giving a generalized framework of how it can happen and how it often does. And it's anyone that does too much too soon after doing too little for too long. And so what that really means is, you're trying to be relatively consistent with the amount of stuff that you do. Stuff being a stressor of some sort, which it could be walking, it could be stair walking, it could be how much I'm playing basketball. But say you have an off season and all you did was sit on the couch and eat Doritos and play video games and then basketball season comes on and now you have to run a lot, you have to jump, you have to cut. That was someone in an extreme example who who did little, too little for too long and now they're doing way too much too soon. And that is just gonna be a risk factor for the tendons not adapting to a stress over time, they get overused and they become painful. Versus a different example is you have that same athlete that they have an off season, but they know basketball season's coming up. So they decide to do some weight training, they do some plyometrics, they're out on the basketball court here and there, and they're trying over the month's time prepping for that to do a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, to try to bridge the gap between how much they were doing versus how much they're going to do. And if you look on a graph, our goal is to be as linear as possible. So we're avoiding any big spikes up or down because tendons tend to like consistency. So if we have a lot of those big spikes up or down, that can be another risk factor for someone getting it. And the one thing I will state too is like Mike mentioned before, it can be like an acute spike where now I'm sore because of one thing or one week period of time, but it can also be taken on a much larger scale of months at a time and how that load accumulated differently. And I also see it in a lot of people who go through an injury and they're taking some relative rest because they need to from the injury, say they had a broken bone. And once that bone heals, now they go back to play their sport. They're again doing too little for too long and then they go too much too soon and they could be at risk for developing a tendinopathy. Yeah, no, I think that's uh, a really good way of laying it out. And I can, uh, as an example, just with myself, I mean, being a uh, not a great athlete but i went to a small small school in high school and so i played every sport and i mean i had a lot of what i now know to be patellar tendonitis but back when i was in middle school high school it was just like rest a couple days go right back and play three hours of basketball again and so it, it kind of bothered me off and on forever well as i stopped playing basketball it never really bugged me that much kind of after high school um, but then I had a um, buddy, shout out to Mike Kylie, that had the brilliant idea to do what is called the garbage man workout, which is if you want to get really good at something, um, you do it the same thing over and over again every day. And so he had us do hang cleans every day for like two weeks. To this day, I now have <laughs> that patellar tendonitis has now, or tendinopathy has now come back. And it's a combination of the fact that I had years worth of kind of this pathology dating back to me being younger and in high school and middle school. And then I had this increase in stress that irritated that tendon. Now that I know what to do to manage it, I'm able, when it flares up periodically, it goes away. But I can, 
I can kind of trace it back to this combination of things. Um, and it wasn't any one of them. It's just we see kids that had, uh, you know, now they're a college athlete. But when we start talking about them back in high school or whatever, they had this chronic pain for a while. Um, and so it's more complex than, than just, yeah, two weeks ago I did X and my knee started hurting. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So, all right. What uh, should people look for if they're dealing with this pain in one of these locations that we talked about? When should they get help? Um, kind of like related to your story, I typically recommend as soon as you're noticing some consistency of pain in that area, try not to let it go on for too long and think it'll just go away because this injury is much, much easier to resolve earlier on, the earlier you catch it and get help versus much, much later. Um, Mike's example is he dealt with it for years off and on, didn't necessarily do a lot about it. And then he has these spikes and it, it continuously returns but we probably have a little bit better situation if he went and saw help and saw someone who knew what was going on, they addressed it and at least gave him tools that if it did flare up a little bit, he'd know exactly what he needs to do in order to try to let it calm down or how he can manage it best. So the sooner the better, Um, the longer term ones, it just ends up being a little bit longer to come back from and potentially it can get to the point too where we do need to rest from that activity which could mean pulling you from your sport. Um, Because unfortunately, I have seen it. It's pretty rare. But if someone just keeps trudging through it and it's really, really painful, they keep ignoring every sign, they don't get help, is you can have a tendon rupture. And then usually you're going to need surgery at that point if it does fully rupture. It's rare again, but on the extreme end, it it can happen. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think um, it's one of our favorite things to treat because people go, it does really well. And and it's like the longer you wait, the more significant it is, the more we're going to have to take activities away. Um, the longer it's going to take to heal, the sooner you can get help and stay on top of it from a young age, the less you're going to deal with it over time. So yep. that kind of leads me into the next question. Let's first start about uh, start talking about common mistakes that we see people with because, again, this has been around for years. And my generation, for sure, was just always told to like suck it up, rest for a day, go back to practice. It's no big deal. Um, and there was no do anything about it that wasn't a it's like maybe you throw a a little strap around your knee or a strap around the outside of your elbow but there was no no treatment plan so i think there's still a lot of those myths from that um what are some myths that you see when you're treating these people every day yeah i think two myths that i hear quite often but are polar opposites is one you just need to rest and rest for a period of time it will feel better But then once you feel better and you go back to your sport, it's very likely to come back. So rest alone is generally not the answer. And then vice versa, I've also heard myths that it's one of those things that it'll just go away. Just continue to do your sport. It'll just, it'll be fine. It'll go away on its own. It seems to be not the case at all. That is generally needs some targeted intervention, which could be an actual intervention, education, activity modification, but it does need a little bit of that. Um, The other thing too, is we mentioned that it is relatively load dependent. So a lot of times less load means it feels better. So another myth that I hear a lot of is we should be doing light weights with it, but do a lot of reps because it's gonna be better for the tendon. Um, When in reality, it seems like the more we learn, heavier weights or more load is gonna be helpful, Um, but it's very context dependent too. Um, The other thing that I generally hear is, you know, they maybe went and saw a doc or they looked up online and they think that they're going to be better in four weeks, even though it's been going on for six months. Um, unfortunately, 
this unfortunately this condition seems to be one of those that does take time to get better um, but the good thing is is it can and does get better with the right interventions yeah no i think that's great and I, just to hit on the rest thing because this is the one that we see the most and i don't want to I don't want to say it's the worst thing that you can do, but it's basically the literally the worst thing that you can do because what what happens is you feel better, but then you just go right back to do the same thing over again. Except now, when you have the uh, when you've rested, that overall quote unquote load tolerance or stress tolerance that we keep referencing is has gone down. So that tendon's actually gotten structurally weaker. Now you go back to that same activity it hurts even more than it did before. And this is this is often when we see people come in is like they did rest for maybe it was five days, maybe it was two weeks, maybe it was a whole off season. Like they, hey, I'm not going to do anything this summer because my knee bothered me all spring. And now the fall comes around and two practices in, it's back and it's even worse. And so um, I just really want to hit home on that one in particular that it, rest might be a component of management potentially, but not complete rest. And and I think that's what um, we should start diving into is we've kind of covered what doesn't work, but what, what do we do to treat these? What actually has success and good outcomes and research to support it? Yeah. Um, in my own personal experience, that seems to be hopefully derived from the latest research that I know of is it's there's a lot of components to it. The most success that I've had with people are people who are involved and they take an understanding of what I'm trying to teach them. So there are things that are qualities that we're trying to teach and have them learn so that they can self-modify because I'm not gonna be holding their hand the whole time. And so some of these concepts I like to try to teach people is it's okay and, or can be okay to have some level of pain and kind of depending on each person they're going to rate their pain differently, but in general, maybe a three out of 10 is going to be a quote unquote safe zone. Um, the other aspect I will try to teach people from an activity modification standpoint is reflect on how it feels in 24 hours. Cause we did mention like the next day it's going to tend to be really sore if you had a hard weekend of basketball. So if you did an activity, say you had a basketball game, in 24 hours, is your pain level back to its baseline or is it higher? So if you can't obey like both of those rules, quote unquote, a three out of 10 pain at most, and does it recover back to baseline within 24 hours, you might be doing a little bit more than what it tolerates at that time. And then we can use those rules to say, okay, that was a little bit too much. Let me back off a little bit more. Or if you did a good amount of activity and it felt great, 24 hours later, it feels great. Okay, let's push the needle and try to do a little bit more on top of that too. So I like to educate on those things first and foremost, because I think it does take an understanding of what I should do on my own on top of what things are we also working on in PT or with my athletic trainer on my own. And that's where we need to find those thresholds of what load is appropriate that fits those rules. Maybe we can only tolerate relatively lighter load or light weights, and we can only hold, so we're not moving, and then we try to progress over time. So if your goal is to do an activity that involves running, jumping, cutting, which is a lot of jumping and plyometrics, if you will, or quick loading, and it's also a lot of high forces, we need to backtrack and try to find at what point can you tolerate that load or that speed and then we try to slowly work our way back to that starting point 
keeping those rules in mind. So from a general framework, that's kind of the principles that I like to work from. Um, but day to day, things can change quite a lot. If someone is typically a little bit more bothersome, as we mentioned, high load and high speed are going to be the most bothersome. So we can reverse all the way back and think, we want to do these long duration holds that we tend to call isometrics. So you maybe have heard isometrics and we'll use those same pain rules of around a three out of 10 and then the 24 hour rule. And we might start there, but our goal is to be able to move because that's usually people's goal over time. Um, and we generally start with those holds because they're going to be the easiest tolerated. There's really nothing super magical about them, um, but we tend to progress to like normal resistance training, if you will. So that's going to be one key is there needs to be some resistance training of some sort, whether it's body weight, it's actually using weights, anything like that. Um, and then hopefully on top of that, which I think is a huge missing part in a lot of rehabs, is if your goal is to get back to a more plyometric activity, we need to include some type of plyometrics in there and slowly build up the tolerance to those until we get to the activity. Um, from my own personal experience dealing with this, this is where I went incredibly wrong because like Mike, I dealt with this myself playing basketball. Um, and I did probably a total of zero plyometrics in my <laughs> off seasons because I just wanted to lift weights and get as big as I could. And then basketball season rolled around and my knees would hurt really, really bad. But then in the off season, I'd rest and just do weight training. They'd feel better. And I repeated that cycle for a couple of years, unfortunately, because I didn't know what I was doing and I never really got help. So I think that's one big part that's missing that we do need to include. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that one of my favorite quotes around the treatment philosophy is to worry about loading the donut, not the hole. Um, and I think this is from a mentor of mine, Eric Mira. He might have stolen it from somebody else. But um, in a nutshell, when we started this podcast talking about what tendinopathy is, we said there's these areas of pathology and areas, and then there's these areas of inflammation. We, if all we do is rest, we're basically treating the hole. We're um, kind of trying to, to not load that tendon, um, but we're forgetting that there is probably 98% of the tendon that's still totally healthy, and that's actually getting worse during that period of rest. And so kind of what Brett just described is a philosophy of trying to build up the structural tolerance of the remaining healthy tendon so that it can uh, sustain the stresses of the activity without having pain. So in a simplistic, very linear example, and this might not ever be real, but as a, a just to help you understand, let's say we have an athlete, could be any sport that has pain running. Um, well, we might have to stop them from running a little bit, but we try to um, take their cardiovascular exercise somewhere else. Maybe it's an elliptical or a bike, so they stay active. During that initial time, we want to get that pain down, and that's where Brett described those isometric holds, but really any exercise might work, but we've had really good luck with these holds to reduce the pain. As they can tolerate that, we start doing some heavier, slow-moving resistance exercise because that rate of loading that we keep talking about so jumping and impact type things are typically more painful so and then those slow movements actually help rebuild the structural tolerance of that tendon from there we might go into something like just starting to jump rope on two feet to see if that is well tolerated or painful um, if they 
can do well with that. We'll start progressing more and more towards one leg and getting them back to doing impact activities, running at eventually full speed. So in a nutshell of like an approach, um, that's basically what we do. Now, what's unique is every individual is different. Sometimes people tolerate different things and it's gonna, and sometimes people respond differently to different things and that's where um, everything is individualized, but that's a basic example of like no, like loading with no speed, loading with slow speed, loading with high speed, and then back to your sport with a maintenance plan going forward. Mm-hmm. So the last thing that I think is worth hitting on is can tendinopathy come back? So let's say we go through that process. They're doing great. Um, we send them out into the into the wild to uh, get back to their sport and activities. Um, is this something that can return? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Um, biggest risk factor for any injury is did you have a history of that injury in the past? So when you did have it, you're at risk that it could come back. But hopefully throughout the whole process that you worked through to get back to that point and you're on your own in the first place, you took a few gems of here's what worked for you, here are some principles I wanna establish, and whether that's that three out of 10 or that 24 hour rule, or you just have an idea that I need to do some training before the season comes up to prepare for it, those are gonna be your best shots. But if you go back and you are feeling really good, you finish out the season, feels pretty solid, now your off season rules around and you don't apply any of those same principles, and then the season comes back, you jump right back to it, there is a chance that it can come back, but it's the people who stay consistent in what they're training and what they need to do that it tends to stay at bay a little bit more. And even the people that tend to do everything under their power of doing all of the right stuff, it still can come back a little bit. But if you understand those principles and how you can modify, it's usually very, very well managed. Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons that I have loved treating this so much over the years is I feel I feel relatively confident telling most patients that I'm not going to guarantee it won't come back, but I am going to guarantee or feel very confident that you will not need to see another medical provider for Mm -hmm. this specific injury again in the future. Mm -hmm. Because, I mean, at certain times, maybe 15 to 25 or even 50% of a session might just be us educating the patient, the athlete, their family on this. And so... Um, I think what's awesome is it's like you can almost look at the schedule and the first time that you go to a a showcase and play nine games in three days, I can almost guarantee you that your knee tendon will be sore again after that. But if you can take a day off, do your isometrics, get back on your exercise program where before you practice again, your tendon feels totally normal. You just prevented going down that slippery slope and you managed it yourself. And so I think that's where the real power of this is, is um, a well-designed like rehabilitation program with a heavy component of education. And these athletes can be really self-sufficient going forward. Now, if their Achilles started bothering them and they saw us for their knee, like, yes, the principles are the same, but they would have no idea what exercises, et cetera, to, to do. So it's not like a, a cure-all, but the principles stay the same no matter where that is. Yeah, totally agree. So, all right. Well, I think we have uh, pretty well hit tendon education um, today. So hopefully if you are listening to this and you have are currently or have dealt with tendon pain in the past, hopefully you're able to take some information away to help manage this. Um, if you 
what we were describing in terms of the pain location, the types of activity, and that kind of pain presentation sounds like it's describing something that you're dealing with. Um, we would love to chat with you a little bit more. We have a free injury consult at our clinic, 20, 30 minutes. You can meet with one of our therapists. They will look exactly at what's going on, confirm that that actually is that problem, and kind of walk you through some of those steps that you need to do to uh, try to get better. So if this is something that uh, sounds like you, uh, go ahead and reach out. Either give us a call or um, find us online and um, fill out our contact request. We'd love to try to help you through it. So. Brett, thank you again for your time and your expertise on this topic. Hopefully, people are able to take a lot away from this. Yeah, I hope people can learn more than I learned when I was in high school and hopefully take some of this advice and all of the school and education and own suffering that I've dealt with and apply it to themselves. <laughs> yes, Brett and I have dealt with tendons through both education and then the school of hard knocks by doing it wrong in our own <laughs> athletic careers uh, up till now. So we'd love to help current athletes not have to do the things that we did. So, all right. Thanks to everyone for listening and we'll see you guys on the next episode.